So if you are new or visiting today, we are in the book of Acts, and I'm not going to do a catch-up today, but feel free to go catch up yourself a bit later. Uh, But we are in Acts, and uh, it will be up on the screen as well in a second. But the, the, the overarching point of this morning's message is simply this, that when the power of God is seen, many people will turn and believe. And when God's power is seen, many people will turn and believe. And the obvious reason for that is, when God does what only God can do, people realize that it's only God doing what only God can do. And they go, oh, God's up to something. And so we saw that last week with Saul, all of a sudden he was enveloped in light and he's like, who are you, Lord? I don't have control over this whole thing. I can see there's something bigger than me. And it changed his entire life. And we're going to see that again in these passages. What's important to note here as I start talking is that people don't turn to Jesus or believe in him because of something smart that somebody says uh, or because of something that we do. It's not just because we love them across the street, right? But people turn and believe in Jesus because of what they see of God and who he is. And so this is from verse 32. It says this. As Peter travelled around the country, he went to visit the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a certain man, and that word certain is important. He found a certain person, specific person. Not just anyone, it's a specific person. Named, and that's too hard to pronounce, A, we'll call him A. Who was paralysed, who had been lying down, bedridden for eight years. It doesn't have lying down there, but it's in the original language. And it's significant that he is bedridden and lying down and paralyzed for eight years. He hasn't moved for eight years. Everything has been done for him. From feeding him, from organizing his bathroom needs, to all of everything, right? And he's bedridden and it's been eight years. And Peter says to this man, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed yourself. After eight years... Some guy named Peter shows up at the door and says, Jesus Christ has healed you. Rise up and make your bed yourself. Now that seems like a really weird thing to say, right? Go and make your bed. It's what parents say to their kids all the time. We want to have a clean room. Come on, guys, just at least make your bed. We beg you, just one thing at least, right? Um, Except for the fact that for eight years this guy had been lying there, unable to move, unable to do anything for himself whatsoever. And so this making up the bed is really an image of something massive has shifted in your life. If you can make your bed, your whole life is different. Your whole life is different. He's been lying on a bed paralyzed, not moving for eight years. And Peter says, you're completely healed. Get up and do the most menial task for yourself. And how does he respond? Verse 34, the second part. And immediately, or at once, or in an instant, however you want to put put whatever synonym you want on that, at that exact moment in time, he rose. And we can read the Bible and skip over how just truly significant this would be for this guy. Eight years paralyzed, not moving, not doing anything, and then in an instant, he rose. He got up. And we take that for granted because we get out of bed somewhat reluctantly in the, every morning, right? But this guy hadn't got out of bed for, 11, uh, for eight years. 
8. Verse 35, And all of the people who lived in this town, Lida, and Sharon, and that's not a name of a nice lady, that is a name of a region. And Nikki, if you can chuck the map up, that would be awesome. So that, it's very hard to see there. But um, the region between the mountain area on kind of the middle and the sea, everything that is in red is the area of Sharon. It's a plain in the Middle East. You can still go visit it today, right? So it's saying everyone, Lydia is kind of at the, Lydia, sorry, is kind of at the bottom bit of the oval. And so it's any, everyone in that whole region, right? Hear me as I say that. And all the people who lived in Lydia and that whole region, they all turned to the Lord because of this one thing. They saw him walking. They saw him at the market. They saw him moving around and every single person in the town and in the entire region turned to the Lord. And that phrase is significant because it means they were going in one direction and then they turned the other way. That this one instant of seeing this one person shifted their entire life. They all said in their hearts, you know what, I'm following him. I'm following the one who made that happen. I'm following him. And that's story one. There's two stories to that. Story one. Verse 36, now in Joppa, which if you chuck the map up again, Nikki, for a second, which, you, again, you can't read that because it's tiny, but on the left-hand side of the oval down the bottom is Joppa. So it's a nice beach kind of area like here, right? They're on the beach. Um, and now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I'm, I know why she called herself Tabitha, because she doesn't want to be a dork. Um, and she was full of good works and acts of compassion. So this lady is just a genuinely nice girl. Like, she does great things for people. She's full of pity and compassion for those who are less fortunate. She's just a nice person. If, if it was, you've got to be a good person to get into heaven, this lady's ticked the box, right? This is who she is. That's just how she lives. And in those days, so after this guy had been healed, in the same period of time, she becomes sick. And then she dies. And it's quite a lot of detail in what they do with her body. And and when they'd washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And Lida, which is where Peter was, was near this town. And the disciples, on hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to him. And they urged him, without delay, come with us. Please come at once. Come right now. Come right now. And so Peter got up and he went with them and when he'd arrived there, they took him into the room upstairs and all the widows were crying. They were mourning, they were grieving for the loss of Tabitha. They were devastated. And they were showing him all the tunics and the other garments that she'd made while she was with them. She was clearly a lady who made a lot of things for people in need. But Peter sent them all outside And he got on his knees and prayed. I've been in a lot of grieving rooms and the last thing you'd want to be doing is sending all the grieving people outside. But for whatever reason, he kicks them out and he gets down on his knees and he prays. 
and that's an important concept because the focus is not on his ability to heal anybody. He's relying on God to do something. He's kneeling down and saying, God, have you got anything to do here? Let's just do that. I need you to work. Lord, what is your will here? Are we rising her from the dead? Are we saying some nice things to the people here? Like, what is the go? So he sends them out, he kneels and prays, and he turns to the body and he says, Tabitha, get up. It's that same word that he used just moments ago with the other guy saying, rise, same word. Get up. Get up, let's go. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter and she sat up. She opened her eyes, she saw him, and she sat up. Again, this, if we read it too fast, we miss it completely. She's dead. Gone. And all of a sudden, <laughs> she's opened her eyes, she's seen him, and she sits up. And he gave her his hand and he raised her up. And calling all the saints and the widows who were in the room before, he presented her to them alive. Now, you can imagine that response. They were in their moments before grieving and wailing and just being so genuinely upset about everything that had happened. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, guys, she's, she's right here. She's alive. She's alive. Verse 42, And it became known throughout the whole town of Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. You probably didn't notice before, but there's a difference in the response here compared to the previous town and the whole region, right? With the other man, um, everyone saw him walking around in the marketplace and everyone turned to the Lord, everyone. And yet here, uh, we go back, it says, and it became known through all Joppa, so the whole city again, everyone knew about it, everyone knew what had happened, and yet many believed, not everyone, many. There's a difference here. Many people are believing versus everyone is turning. And my question as I read this this week was, what, what's the difference in the response? Like, why is there a difference here? Surely they're both, like, arguably, Tabitha rising from the dead is a greater miracle, right? Sure, this guy was bedridden for eight years and paralyzed, but she's been risen from the dead. People don't just rise again, right? If he'd stayed paralyzed, that would have been terrible for him, but he was still alive. So arguably, this is a greater miracle, and yet not as many people respond to it. So why? And a practical question for us, is God's work in our lives something that people hear about, or is it something that they see? Everyone saw this guy walking around the marketplace. Everyone knew his story, They'd known him, that he'd been in bed for eight years and all of a sudden he's walking around. Everyone saw him, everyone noticed him, everyone knew what was going on and yet here he was walking and no doubt proclaiming what, what Peter had done, right? And yet with Tabitha, despite being an amazing woman who did amazing things for people, who had compassion on people, who did all the right things... People heard about it, but it didn't hit the mark for everyone. I mean, like, 
How do you know it was actually Tabitha that rose from the dead, guys? I know she looks like Tabitha, but does Tabitha have a sister? That could be her, right? Does she have a twin? I don't know. There's something different. And so the question I have in my heart is, is God's work in our lives something that people hear about, generally speaking, or is it something that people see? Are we different? Are we sharing what God has done in our lives? Or is it just saying that people know that we're a Christian or that we might go to church or that, oh, you're that weird person who prays or whatever it is, right? Um, for me, as I think about that, I'm reminded of uh, a situation that happened when I was working for Woolworths back in my uh, early 20s. Um, and it's a horrible story. Uh, but there's this, there was this guy who I was good friends with Uh, And he worked in the long life section, refilling the shelves at night. He was a night fill manager, so he's the guy who would be there at 2 a.m. filling the shelves for the rest of us. Um, And he was married to a a lady who also worked in night fill. Um, And it got out pretty fast that she was having an affair with the bakery manager. So it's like days of our lives or whatever, right? Um, And he was devastated, naturally, my friend. Um, And this really reminds me um, of what kind of happened in a negative 30 degree freezer. Because me and this guy were sitting, well, sitting, we were standing, we were freezing, um, in this freezer out the back of Woolworths. I said, mate, can I just pray for you? Like, I know know your story, I know you kind of know what's going on here, but I, I just, there's no other answer to this apart from prayer right now because this is a mess. Um, and so we did, and each time I would go back to the Woolworths, even after I finished working there, there'd be a sense, there'd just be this whole different, it's a different relationship. Now, I could go back there now, 12 years later, and it'll be different. And I don't say that to pump myself up at all, because that hasn't happened since, frankly. Um, but are we sharing who we truly are and what God has truly done in our lives with the people around us? Are we walking around the marketplace different? Saul certainly did. We talked about that last week. He was the guy who was knocking on doors and pulling people into prison. And then all of a sudden he met God on the road and his whole life changed. Now he was the one getting hunted because of who he was and what he believed. There's a difference. That's the first invitation. The second invitation is this. Do we see God and what he's up to in our lives? Do we? I know for me, for a long period of time, I kept a gratitude journal of all the great things that God had done and it sat in the back of my Bible, grateful for the way that God worked in different areas of our lives. One example, uh, we were uh, supposed to be going to a certain hospital for, for Finn Uh, before he was born and all of a sudden out of nowhere we were able to get into this specialised program that was exactly what we needed for uh, his pre-birth care and whatever else, right? And the doctor, and I quote, said, this never happens, ever. This never happens. You're assigned to a hospital, you go to that hospital. This never happens. Or different areas of my life where there's been addiction or different areas where friends have had struggles, the ways that God has worked, are we seeing what God is up to? We're seeing it. Are we helping others to see it? 
what he's up to in their lives and in our lives? Are we cultivating an awareness of God's presence in our lives? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we just waking up, showering, breakfast, pack the bag for the day, off to work, off to school, back home, back to bed, going through the cycle? Or are we cultivating a presence of God, that God is at work in us throughout the day, every day? The little things, the small things, the big things, he's at work. When we see God for who he is and what he does, we will turn and believe. It's not a question mark on that. When we see God, we will be different. Because we see him and who he is. And we can't help but be humbled by that reality. We can't help but be humbled by that reality. I'm reading a fantastic book at the moment called Truth on Fire, and I'll close with this. I shared this with a men's group the other day. which if you're not in a small group, this is a great plug. Please, we have so many of them. Join a small group. It's great for doing life together. But this book is in the middle of one chapter. It says this. If life is a story, who is holding the pen? Who is the one deciding things? From the cosmic level of the location of each star down to the comical level of the shape of human toes. The scripture reminds us that we are not in the hands of fate, chaos, devils, demons, or even ourselves, but in the secure hands of an infinitely sovereign and infinitely good God who is powerfully at work in everything for his glory. I just think back to that that phrase, there he found a certain man, there was a certain disciple, God is at work in the intricacies of every single person's life. If your life is a story, who is holding the pen? When we recognize that God is, it humbles us. And we see God for who he is, and our lives just change. They're just different. We turn to him, we believe in him, and our lives are different. Let's pray. Father, we sung today, when the music fades and all is stripped away, when we simply come, longing just to bring something of worth that will bless your heart. We bring you more than a song, for song in itself is not what you desire. You search much deeper within to the way things have been. You're looking into our heart. Our heart. And Lord, if we're honest, we have very prideful hearts most, if not all of us. Lord, we don't see you for who you are most of the time. And for that reason, our lives aren't changed and people don't notice you in us. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you for who you are and that our lives might change as a result. Thank you that it's not to do with our will or our ability, but it's to do with you. That as we see you, we're different. Father, in these events that happen in real life, 
you remind us that you care about the one. There was a certain man who was bedridden for eight years. There was probably plenty of other people paralysed in that city, but you went to him. And there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. There were plenty of other disciples there, Lord, with issues, people who had passed, and yet you went to her. And Father, we're reminded in this passage as well that when people see what you've done, they turn to you. But just hearing about it is not necessarily enough for everyone. Help us live this out, Lord. Help us share all that you have done and continue to do in our lives. Help us be authentic to the truth of your transformation in us. And Father, as we take up the offering in a moment, we thank you for the way that you're working. We thank you for the many causes that you are supporting through this. The word is going out through missionaries and pastors through organisations to the ends of the earth, getting Bibles where Bibles aren't currently, supporting those who have been persecuted, those who are enslaved. God, we thank you for the way that you're working. And as always, Lord, this isn't an offer of compulsion, this is an invitation to faith, a deeper faith in you. And so, Lord, we say yes today. Aware of the fact that it's not about how much, it's about the heart. That even the poorest widow gave more than the rest, for out of her poverty she gave it all. So, Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in this church and in us. And we just bring the remaining time to you, expectant and joyful for what you'll continue to do today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.